Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am excited to be joined today by Susan Scott, who has been working as a leadership development architect for more than two decades worth of time. She is the founder of Fierce Inc., a global training company that helps global 1,000 companies generate results by transforming their conversations into success. You may know her from her past works, Fierce Communication and Fierce Leaders, but we're also going to talk today about her new book, Fierce Love, which explores how in our romantic relationships, we often long for deep connection without knowing how to communicate. Hello, Susan. I'm also interested in understanding this. Uh, I'm really excited to get to talk to her today. So please, without further ado, welcome Susan Scott to the Rise Together podcast. Hello, Susan. Hello, Dave. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It is a pleasure to have you. Uh, Conversations, how to have them, why it's so hard to have them, such an integral part of anyone who's interested in having something meaningful in leadership, in connection, in relationship, all the rest. You've become an expert on this. But before we dive in, I've uh, attempted to hit the tops of the trees with an introduction of you, but I'm always curious how our guests here would introduce themselves at a cocktail party, how they might represent what they do and why they think they're on this planet to uh, a new person that they're meeting in a social setting. Oh, that's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that one before. Love it. So let me think here. Um, Well, what I usually say is I am in the business of human connectivity because I feel that that is what is missing for many people in the workplace and in their personal lives. And um, they don't know how to connect with the people who are important to them at a deep level. And we do it one conversation at a time. That is my focus. And sometimes Dave, people say, oh, so you're, you're, in, you're in the communications business. And I always say, no, my focus is on the conversation because there's mm. a zillion ways to communicate. I'm just focused entirely on our conversations. So I think I have a handle on what I think conversations are in a relationship. And I'm going to guess that many of the listeners have their definition, but in your work, in the way that you try and coach those that you have as clients or influence in the kind of TED Talk world that you've been in, how do you think of communication or how do you think of uh, conversation as it pertains to relationships or leadership or anything else? Well, certainly in in my previous work, which was primarily with companies, organizations around the world, it's it was really clear to me, and I always imparted to them that our careers and our companies, our relationships, and indeed our lives succeed or flatline or fail gradually, gradually, then suddenly one conversation at a time. And we always wake up when we arrive at 
a negative suddenly. So I want us to stay awake during gradually, which is where we live most of our lives. And so my, my interest in focusing on romantic relationships was really amplified, Dave, when I listened to a Yorkshire-born poet named David White, who spoke at a conference I was attending. And he said, you know, the young man who's newly married is often frustrated, perplexed, even a little irritated because his lovely person with whom he hopes to spend the rest of his life insists on showing up before him wanting to talk yet again about the thing they just talked about last weekend. And so often it has something to do with the quality of their relationship. And he is wondering, why are we having this conversation again? Could we just have one huge conversation about our relationship and then coast for a year or two? But then David said, if he's been paying attention, at some point it dawns on him, this ongoing robust conversation that I've been having with my wife is not about the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. Mm -hmm. wow. And so, you know, I mean, that just hits everybody. It, it, wherever, wherever in the world we are, whether we're talking about business or at home or whatever, the conversation is the relationship. And if, if the people listening to this podcast recognize there might be something to that, then if the conversation stops, well, you can do the math. Or if we add yet another topic to the things we just can't talk about because it'll wreck another evening or another weekend, then our conversations become very superficial. You know, we talk about the weather, we talk about the kids, who's going to walk the dog, a little bit about what happened at work today. And gradually, then suddenly, all of the possibilities for that relationship have become smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'll never forget one, one woman said to me, you know, it's as if each conversation that I've been having with my husband is a small diminishment. And when you string those together over days and weeks and months, it's as if we pulled off our own wings we are no longer lovers. We're just housemates. It's very quiet in our home. And so I just wanted to answer some questions. And, you know, how do we get our wings back? Why uh, does it take so little to send love running out the door? Why are we so afraid to disclose what we are truly, truly, truly thinking and feeling? What is the conversation that we've been unable to have that if we could have it, could change everything. So that was really important. I, I, I wrote this book because I want everyone to understand, particularly in their most important relationship with their partner, that the conversation is the relationship, what gets talked about and how we talk about it. Yeah. determines whether our relationship is going to thrive or flatline or fail. Oh my goodness. There's so many things there. It's interesting because I, man, I've been doing a ton of work trying to understand how I'm wired, why I'm wired the way that I am, where my fear lives or comes from. And 
one of the things in therapy over the last couple of years worth of time that I've really been able to like hone in on is that one of the things I fear the most is being seen as my true self mm. and being rejected as my true self. That if I were to show up authentically as me, that there would maybe not be uh, uh, the reception that I would hope for. And I think that some of that fear infiltrates the willingness that I've had in some of my most important relationships to engage in conversation, to fully reveal the truth of my being at the expense of intimacy, right? Like I didn't understand at the time that I was making this trade-off that I was actually trading intimacy away because of wanting to preserve some illusion of who I was hoping they might think that I was so that they might accept me for this version of not who I am, but who I think they want me to be. Well, Talk to me said. a little bit about your experience in this. Yeah. Well said, Dave. I never, nobody has ever put it in that trading intimacy for my fear that you know people will see me for who I am. The, the simplest definition of a fierce conversation is one in which we do come out from behind ourselves into our conversations and make them real. And you know, you mentioned therapy. We, we often don't talk about the things we really need to talk about because we don't know how. And we've tried it before and boy, it did not go well. And when we finally realize we're in trouble, we do go to a therapist, but there are three problems with that. One is by the time we realize we're in trouble, it may be almost too late, hopefully yep. not, but you know, almost too late. And the other thing is if the only way we can have a productive, honest conversation is in the presence of a referee, we're sunk unless yeah. that referee is going to move in with us. You know, what, what do we do the rest of the time? And, and then, so if you, you know, you have these rich conversations with the marriage counselor, and then you go home and you don't continue them because you're too uncomfortable. And, you know, it just gets really, it gets really quiet. And it honestly, I think it's what we're not talking about. It's the missing conversations that are the most expensive for all of us. Personal experience, I'm going to guess that I am not alone in this. I have, at the expense of keeping something from becoming an issue that was bigger and needed to now be addressed or handled, uh, I just avoided having to talk about it or have it be a part of my conversation mm -hmm. because at the time it felt like it wasn't worth the emotional energy. It just, you know, it's a small thing. Just let the dust collect. And man, my experience in relationships that have not worked out is that there's a cost to not yeah. dealing with small things when they're still small because they do become these bigger things that you can't necessarily wind the clock back and yeah. deal with them in a way that you could have if you just had the willingness or the confidence or the uh, culture inside of that relationship to talk about the small stuff when it comes up, even if it doesn't feel like it's worth the energy, it's short-term maintenance for long-term sustainability. You know, I am loving this conversation. With Let's you go. Because you're, you're being so candid and you're sharing some of your issues, which yes, you're right. We, we all share those same issues and or, uh, almost everybody I know. And the thing is, the wonderful thing about fierce conversations is that you end up staying current with your partner. In the book, there are eight conversations and, and each chapter focuses on a, a particular a true story, names changed, 
about a couple and what they were struggling with. And then the conversation that was so useful to them and how to have it. So it's very, very clear. But even, even if there's just some small annoyance or some small diminishment, like that woman said to me, if you just stop right then and there and say, hey, that didn't feel good. You know, that, you know, can you tell me what's going on with you? That was not fun for me. Just that. I mean, yeah. and stay current because otherwise we will probably end up where we just go off the ledge and kind of blow up or we storm out and slam the door. And, you know, that's not going to solve the problem. So fierce conversations give us a way to stay very current with one another. There are no surprises. We know, we're wide awake during our the gradually part of our lives together. And we're, we're checking in. And this is not about all these long, drawn-out, meaty conversations. I, you'd think, given that I'm in the conversation business, that I would just want lots and lots of conversations in my life. But I'm an introvert. I need a lot of quiet time. I want fewer conversations. But the conversations I have, I want them to be really good, useful, interesting, you know, provocative. I want them to connect me with the person that I'm talking with. Yeah. So it's not about just talking and talking and talking and talking. It's about when you do talk, if there is something, you know, let's put it on the table and find out what we're made of. And I think if people know how to do that and they try it and they realize, gosh, nobody died. It was actually a really good conversation. Then they have the courage to continue. And that's, you know, that's what I want for everybody. Yeah. So tell me, because Fierce is the name of your company. Fierce has been part of the names of each of your three books. This, you know, most recent one, Fierce Love. What is it about the word fierce when it comes to conversation that's important for a listener to understand and appreciate? Great question. Well, in our trainings, we often start out by by saying, you know, if you and the, and these are often, you know, leaders from all over the world and some of the biggest companies in the smallest companies in every industry. And if we say to them, if if a fierce conversation was something that you really wanted to have more of in your life, what words would you use to describe a fierce conversation? And they say everybody says the same things. They say, you know, well, obviously it would be honest. It would be courageous. It would be uncurbed, untamed. It would be passionate. It would be uh, energetic. It would it would help move things forward. You know, honestly, in 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 a lot of meeting rooms and companies, even when people know that their goal is to surface issues, the real issues, what they surface is just more surface. And they just never, ever get to the heart of the issue. And that's what we want to, that's what we want to get to. What, what is at the center of all of our great stuff together and all of our not so great stuff that we, we need to look at together? Yeah. What's interesting in this like super divided world we tend to live in that feels like there's more division every day, every week, every month. uh, I know I found myself at times withdrawing from engaging in depth for something that's just a little more shallow to maintain peace Mm -hmm. at the expense, again, of real connection. 
And what I'm missing, you know, in the romantic sense, it ends up being trading it off for intimacy. I think in like the relational friendship sense, it's been trading it off for empathy, having some Mm -hmm. connection to what it's like to walk in their shoes or understand why their ideology, whether it's political ideology or religious ideology or whatever it might be, is what it is. And I've had to force myself to be more fierce in the relationships that I have an interest in maintaining by pushing into these uncomfortable spaces, not in a way that makes it more friction-filled, but in a way that makes it more empathetic to helping me understand that they believe that they're right. And here's now an an entree for me to understand why they believe as, as much as they do. How does empathy play into fierceness when it comes to the importance of conversation and connection? Oh, gosh. Um, I have so many thoughts going through my head right now as you were talking, Dave. Um, Let me circle back around to empathy for a second. First, I want to share something kind of funny that I've talked about in like in the TED talk. Wouldn't it be awesome? You know that saying, liar, liar, pants on fire? Yeah. It'd be awesome if every time we told a lie or withheld what we were really thinking and feeling our pants ignited. (laughs) I mean, that would solve the problem right then and there, you know, I mean, we'd start getting really, really, really honest. And you can see me, you can see that behind me is a a drawing of a warthog. And why in the world would I have that on my wall as opposed to some beautiful landscape, you know, or portraits of my family? I have it because I've spent a fair amount of time in Kenya and there is this, warthogs are hilarious. But they remind me of a greeting that takes place in Africa. And the first person to speak says, Sawubona, which means, I see you. And the response is, Sikona, which means, I am here. The order is important. It is as if until you see me, I do not exist. And so, Coming back around to your question about empathy, I hear people say so often, you know, my, this person doesn't understand me or this person doesn't really listen to me and this person on and on and on and on. I say, well, do you understand that person? You know, I mean, what are you modeling? I mean, what are you putting out there that would encourage and invite a more empathetic conversation where where we, you know, we don't have to agree. And I am never about trying to convince someone to my point of view. I'm just wanting to share a perspective for someone to consider and to understand theirs. And until I really understand theirs and ask a lot of questions, like if somebody says, you know, people say stuff like this all the time. Well, authenticity is really important to me. I always ask, what does that, what does authenticity mean to you? And you'd be amazed at the very, very broad array of responses. I mean, we, we don't, I think one of the things I'm known for is I ask the question after the question and the one after that. I ask the questions after where most people would stop asking because I really do want to know. And I'll confess that there are some days I am not up for, you know, taking on a, a someone who holds a, a political view um, that differs greatly from mine or whatever. Sometimes I'm not up for that. I don't have to have that conversation if I don't want to. But if I am going to engage, 
I really need to engage from a place of good intent and, you know, wishing this person well, even if I don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> much um, reminds me of the, a loving kindness meditation. You know, may you be well, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be loved. And I, you know, I say that every morning, not only for myself and for family members, but also to an individual that I, that I, I really don't like at all. I say that for, to that person and it gets me in the right place. So that if that person shows up in my life today, I'm wishing those good things for them. And that makes it easier for me to, to engage in a meaningful conversation. So good. I love that. That's good. I mean, that, that there isn't even a differentiation between friend or foe or agree, disagree, yeah. that you're having that as just a constant love. Yeah. Um, one of the things I know for me that has been a barrier to produ- like productivity in conversation, even if I'm being direct or very clear, I'm actually hitting on a topic that maybe I've struggled to fully represent because of the way that I'm worried it could be received is the way that my ambiguity around intention has left the recipient unable to hear what I'm actually attempting to say. And one of the things I have tried to do, albeit not perfectly, is declare intention ahead of a fierce conversation so that there is clarity. Hey, my intention here is... Yes. But talk a little bit about, because you use the word intention, it just is a thing I know for me that, man, I am... I'm also someone who lets some of my own fear or my own insecurity or my own whatever it might be in the midst of a fierce conversation project what I now am assuming their intention is and am often wrong because it was not, in fact, that intention at all. Talk a little bit more about intention and how it correlates or relates to productivity and fierce conversations. I definitely will. I, I will. In one of the one of the eight conversations, by the way, there are I don't know if I said this before, there are eight conversations, there are five myths about romantic relationships that get us in trouble. There are seven magic words and one secret rule. And all of these things come together to really help us have these conversations. So what I have seen time and time again is when someone tells their their truth, You'd be amazed at how much fresh air enters the room. It's it's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, and, and I'm talking about at work and at home, and especially when two people at home share with one another what they're really thinking and feeling. Boy, the, I mean, it's like clean, it's a cleanser. You know, it, the fresh air is everywhere and it allows us to go on. But let me, one of the conversations, one of the eight conversations is about giving Feedback. So you were asking about intention. And here's a little true story. I remember years and years ago, um, walking through the office and one of our people who was clearly on the phone with one of our clients, he was yelling, just yelling, yelling, yelling. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, that's, that is so not okay. And when he finished, I said, okay, um, was that a client you were talking with? Yep you were yelling. And he said, yeah, I know she can't, she has horrible hearing problems and she won't get a hearing aid. And she keeps saying louder, louder, louder. And I find up, I end up yelling at her and I love her to pieces, but I'm always exhausted when we're done. So just by saying, can you tell me 
what was going on here before I dive in, because what we do, it's a human nature thing. We make up stories about people and then we behave as if our stories are true. And so, you know, somebody says this or does this and we decide, I know what that means. I know what that was all about. Yeah. And we're interpreting it. And we are so often completely off the mark. But if we would just say, hey, this is what I just saw and heard. Can you tell me what's going on? That then gives the person an opportunity to say, yes, this is what's going on. You know, this is what's happening. This is what I mean. So good and so true. And it's just a universalism. Every person, every single person listening has made the mistake of having their perspective ordain what the intention of somebody else yeah. was without necessarily considering the context or what else is even happening in their world, what their intention was. In Fierce Love, there's uh, five myths to romantic yeah. relationship. What are those five myths? I don't, I don't address the obvious silly ideas like, um, you know, love means never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's just ridiculous. It's the dumbest thing I ever heard, you know. But things like one of the myths is you complete me. I remember hearing um, an actor talking about he had recently got married and he felt like he'd found his missing piece. And I, I understand that it's a sweet sentiment, but no, nobody completes us. We complete ourselves. One of them is, um, and this, I'll hit the pause button on this one because this is a big one. <laughs> True story. Couple came to visit me at my treehouse on Orcas Island. We are sitting out on this deck looking out over this beautiful forest and they're telling me about their, you know, what's happened to them in the last couple of years since we've seen each other and, you know, their, their work together and their kids and their this and their that. And the husband was looking kind of, I don't know, anxious. And at one point I said, so is there something you're not telling me? And it came out that he had had an affair. Ooh. And it just was horrible for their marriage, obviously. It hurt her deeply. Um, and it almost ended their marriage, but they were able to, to put it back together again. And then she, she looked at me and she said, you know, we believe that true love is unconditional. And then she turned to him and she said, there is nothing you could ever do that would cause me to leave you. I think I shocked all three of us by jumping up out of my chair, almost spilling my wine and saying, take that back. Yeah. That, back. <laughs> that is one of the worst ideas. You know, love, love does have conditions. I mean, what, and, and one of the conversations is clarifying what they are, not the, it would be nice to have this a nice, if, but what are the things that are absolutely essential to me, to you, to us that would cause us to want to stay in this relationship and what would cause us to want to leave? Because in telling him, you know, I'll never leave you no matter what you do, two things. One is now he now, he now has permission to go off and be a bad boy. Uh, and she has turned herself into a martyr to the relationship. Yeah. And nobody likes a martyr. Martyrs usually end up alone and very confused because they think they gave their all for their children or their marriage or their whatever. And it, they're no fun. So, so, you know, that's one of the myths that, that, that love is unconditional. And it's not about saying, 
I'm going to tell you how to be, that would be ridiculous and rude, but it's, I want, I want you to understand how to be with me. Um, because we do treat, we do teach people how to treat us and we get what we tolerate. Susan, I hate to bury the lead here, but I think you started this story with uh, reference to your treehouse. Yeah. So I just want to acknowledge that you are more amazing than I thought you were because you just casually threw that in a sentence like I wasn't going to pick up on it, but I did. <laughs> I do have a treehouse. It, it's on Orcas Island, which is one of the islands off of Washington coast. And it's, it was built to be a year round retreat for my family. And Amazing. It has everything, all the creature comforts. It is just really, it's my happy place. It's my sanctuary. I absolutely love the treehouse. And it, <laughs> I remember the engineer asked me, how much do you want it to move? Well, and I thought, nobody's ever asked me that question about a house before. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I, I don't want to get seasick and I don't want things to fall off of the shelves, but I do want to know that I'm in the trees. And, and I do. And we get some pretty fierce winds up there from time to time and the house moves and the, you know, the chandeliers, you know, moving back and forth. And, um, but it's, it's wonderful. And there's a ramp. So nobody has to climb a ladder or a rope or anything. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Now I've got to add it to my bucket list and come <laughs> to your treehouse. I've just invited myself. <laughs> I'd love you to come. All right. Let me ask you this. If someone who's listening right now finds themselves struggling to have optimism about their relationship or the quality of their conversations because they find themselves on that uh, continuum that you described at the beginning of our conversation. Uh, they're closer to something. <laughs> did you say suddenly it's um, over? But yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so what, what kind of advice or, or what, uh, you know, would you recommend if someone find themselves a little out of the practice of having connection in conversation, how do they rekindle yeah. Or, or get back to a place where it feels like it's safe to engage on a regular basis in conversation. Yeah. Well, obviously, the first thing I would want to do is put my book into their hands. I want well, I wrote it. Fair. For, please fair. read this because this will this will help you. This will give you this the how to and therefore the, the skill and the courage. But I think one of the things is to realize the cost of not having those conversations. You know, I have dogs. I have two dogs. In fact, they've gone in and out of the dog door a couple of times and that maybe annoys you for it in the background. If you have a dog or cat, whatever you have, if you stop feeding that dog, if I didn't feed my dogs, what they do is they sit right in front of me and they look at me with this very intense look. And then if I still don't feed them, they end up jumping up on the sofa or into my lap. And they're, you know, one of them is not that small, looking at me more closely. And if I still did not feed my dogs, they might eventually go look for nourishment somewhere else. Or they might whine or bite me or die. So a relationship we have to feed it. We have to nurture it. And we do that one conversation at a time. So I think just for people to understand that, that the conversation is the relationship. And if I am not having these conversations, 
we're not headed in a great direction. I mean, it's all unconscious. We're not talking about it. We're not paying attention to it. Nobody said anything unkind. We're just, you know, cooking dinner, whatever, watching TV. And the relationship is slowly but surely headed in a direction nobody wants. And I don't want anybody to ever be surprised by the news from a partner. Um, I love you more than anyone else, except for this person I met at work. <laughs> I I want a divorce. I'm not happy. I, I, I'm envisioning an entirely different life and I don't think you're in it. Or, you know, we don't want that. So how do we, I mean, it, we have to stay current with one another and we have to do it with skill and with love and with courage. And it's not as hard as people think it is. It's not complicated. You know, if you're, if you're going to open a, a safe and you've got this combination lock, the first click doesn't do it. The next click doesn't do it, but click by click by click, the safe opens and we're in. And, and conversations are like that. It, it may take several conversations, but it probably won't take as many as you think it will Yeah. get to this really good place. Do you think that you have to, between the two of you, have a conversation about the importance of conversations or do you just start having them? Like, is this something where you have to declare like, hey... We've fallen out of this as a habit and it's creating something in disconnection where connection and intimacy is important for the long game. Um, like, do you have to have that conversation or do you just start engaging and hope that the engagement leads to more engagement? Well, you, you don't have to have to have that conversation, but I don't think it would hurt. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you can say, hey, I just I've, I've come to understand the role of conversations in a relationship. And we're not having uh, some of the conversations that I think have our name on them. And I want us to. And so, you know, even one of the, one of the conversations, it's actually used in the business world as a coaching conversation because it begins with a question. And you could ask this of your partner anytime, any evening, any weekend, you could say, Given everything that's going on for you, everything that's on your plate, you know, everything that has your name on it, what's the most important thing that you're sort of dealing with these days? Just ask that. And then there are six more questions that you would ask as you go through this and take this person deeper, deeper into the topic. And this person will feel so seen heard, understood. It's one of the sweetest conversations, the richest conversations. It gets us off the shore and out into that beautiful blue water. Oh, you're yeah. speaking my language. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Blue ocean where, where, you know, we don't know exactly what's out there, but it's got to be more interesting than, than just, you know, picking up shells on the seashore. So, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think just to start, I mean, you could almost pick any of the eight conversations as a starting place. And, and one point that I do want to make is one of the conversations is about how do you tell someone what it is that you love about them, what it is that you appreciate and value about them in a way that it will truly land with them. So just saying, love you, honey. See, ya. I mean, we do that. There's nothing wrong with that, but that doesn't do the job. Even saying, thanks, good job. That doesn't do it. There is a way to just stop and pause and, and make someone really clear about what it is. And I was thinking about 
my one of my daughters, she told me, she had said to her husband the other day, you know, I watched you talk with uh, our daughter about her issue. And the way you talked with her was just so wonderful. I don't know how you got to be the perfect dad, but you are. And she could not have a better father. I could not have a better husband. I love this about you so much. I mean, it was very specific. And so there's a whole, how do you do that? So if you, Susan, are preparing for a fierce conversation, could be in your romantic life, could be as a leader in an organization, is there a specific checklist you run through in prep? Do you role play? Like, do you speak into the mirror? Like, what are you doing to get yourself ready to deliver the kind of conversation you know you need to have, especially if it's one of those harder ones where you're going to bring up something that may not necessarily be received with excited ears? Yeah, yeah. great question. Well, with most of them, you don't have to do a lot of rehearsal, but for the one that's really you know, we got a problem. I, I mean, I can see what's on the end of my fork and it's not pretty. Um, <laughs> we, we, for that conversation, yeah, you need to prep because it is your invitation to the person to have this conversation that makes all the difference. That first 60 seconds that comes out of your mouth, those 60 seconds, you need to you need to to write that, edit that, practice saying it out loud so that you really know it. You don't have to read your notes. It doesn't go on and on and on and on and on. It's just really, really clear and compelling. And, you know, it will entice your partner into this conversation. And then obviously there are there are more steps that you would want to keep in mind as you go through this conversation, but it's how do you start this conversation? So that remember when I said, why, why does it take so little to send love running out the door? I mean, a lot of people just, they are not going to go. They don't want to go there and they don't want to go there because the way we approached it before in the past, it, it wasn't effective. It didn't work. It didn't feel like love. Okay. So let me ask this then, because this is interesting. If you find yourself as a listener right now, wanting so badly to have your partner engage with you in an authentic conversation and they are resistant. Like they have, they have had you, uh, you know, like come to this, uh, this, you know, before, and they have already represented with the look on their face or the shaking yeah. of their head that they are not interested in being party to this. What do you do then? Well, I might say something like this. I might say, sweetheart or darling or whatever you call this person. I know you, you haven't wanted to have conversations about X before because it's been really difficult and unpleasant and not fun and didn't go well. And I get that. And yet, I think that the, this conversation that we're not having is really hurting us. It's hurting mm. our relationship. And if I didn't love you to the moon and back, I would not risk coming here and experiencing your wrath if I didn't love you and if I didn't feel that this is really, really important. So I have a maybe a different approach for us to use in discussing this. And I really am hoping you'll go there with me. And if you if you're not up for it right now, okay, that's fair, but let's have it within the next 48 hours because it's just too important. So let me know when and where, you know, we can we can just talk this through. 
And I mean, I have seen families completely under the thumb of one highly dysfunctional human being who refuses to talk about anything that he or she doesn't want to talk about. And that doesn't end well. Plus, what are we modeling for our children? Yeah. You know, I have a, I have a good friend who used to tell me all the time about his daughter and he adored his daughter and he'd show me photos and tell me what he did with his daughter. And I said, what? You never, you never t- tell me about your wife, you know, what you do with your wife. And he got really quiet. And the next time I saw him, he said, so I, I, I asked my therapist about that because I explained, I want my daughter when she looks for a husband to look for someone who treats her the way I treat her. And the therapist said, oh, well, that's not how it works. What she is watching is how you treat her mother. That is her model for husband, for marriage. So that's what she's paying attention to. So are you openly expressing your affection and your respect and your appreciation for her mother in front of her? You know, Ooh, that's a good one. A good one. He was blown away. And so was I. I mean, my jaw just dropped. I hadn't really thought of that. So there's this wonderful song, Children Will Listen, and they will. And they are watching. And what we are modeling for them, they will duplicate. Even if, I mean, I think most of us have had the experience. I don't want to be like, you know, my parent in that way. And then we find ourselves being exactly like our parent in that way. We, we, it's it's just sort of baked in. Yeah. So, so we have, we need to understand that we are modeling for our children, how to have a beautiful, loving, nurturing relationship, how to, how to stay current with one another, how to appreciate one another, how to tackle tough or awkward issues, all of those things we're and if we are doing a lot of this right in front of our children then boy i mean i i just want people to 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 know how to make love i mean love doesn't make itself we make it or we fail to make it and we're pretty good at unmaking it as well so i want people to fill their homes with this love more and more of it until you're breathing it in and out like oxygen That doesn't mean that every moment in your relationship is going to be Tweety Birds and ribbons, but um, just to understand that you are navigating your relationship one conversation at a time. So what's the quality? You know, what are the topics? How are you doing? I mean, that is really useful to understand. Drop the mic, Susan. That's it right there. Thanks for coming to Susan's TED Talk, everybody. Wow. Uh, I love I love this and you so much. Uh, I'm going to have to off camera ask for the uh, hotline to the treehouse so that when I have to have a hard conversation, you can just walk me straight through it or have it for me. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know which way we're going to go yet. Well, I just definitely invite you to the treehouse. I love to have people at the treehouse. I just had a friend come all the way from Ireland to spend time with me at the treehouse. Gina London, who used to be a CNN correspondent. We had the most wonderful time in the treehouse. It's one of my favorite things. So I'm serious. If you're, I love it. If you're I ever going in this direction, you'll, you'll come. We'll go. I'm coming that way. I'm coming right. that way. All right. I have a single final question that I'm going to ask you. But before that, I'd love you to tell people 
if they are interested in getting to know you better, where they can find you? Is there a website or a social handle where you uh, share your thoughts, your thinking, your wisdom with humanity? There definitely is. I'm on Facebook. I'm on you know so many different platforms. But I think if you just if you just go to wherever it is that you buy books and and order the book. In that, it tells you exactly how to to reach me. Uh, my email is in there, and I'm welcoming people to tell me their stories because we're you know we're gonna we we've already got a podcast starting to come together about the conversations that people are having or aren't having. The book again is Fierce Love. There are two other fierce books that already have been released, but let's support this Fierce Love book so that you can figure out how one conversation at a time, you can create the kind of connection you'd hope for in a romantic relationship. Okay, Susan, final question. If you had a single thought, a single quote, mm-hmm. comment, takeaway, yeah. idea, something for yeah. these listeners that might afford them some peace, some joy, some fulfillment on this, the day they're listening to the podcast, what would that single thing be? Ask yourself before you open your mouth and say something to anybody, because once you say it, it's out there, it's not coming back, right? So ask yourself, is it true? Is it kind? Does it need to be said? And what would love say? What would love do? What would love say in this moment? Ask yourself those questions. And if you are unclear, then wait. (laughs) Wait until you can be clear. It is true. This will be kind. I mean, one of the challenges is how do I describe reality without laying blame? That's that's a skill that most people don't have. Yeah. So if I can, if I can answer those questions, then I'm good to go ahead and have the conversation. That's beautiful. I love that. All right, Susan, thank you for being here today. I appreciate you, your work, the way that anyone who grabs your book is going to be affected by it and gets to build a stronger relationship one conversation at a time because of it. Uh, Listeners, if you got anything from this and how the heck could you have not (laughs) I'd encourage you to take a picture of the podcast on the device you're listening to tag both myself and Susan in your social media and tell a friend something that you took away from this so that we might also afford them a breakthrough in the power of conversation in their relationships between now and next week. Susan, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. And I love your beard. It looks really good on you. Well, thank you. I just trimmed this beard. And I mean, oh, not necessarily good. for this, but I, I might have just done it for the compliment. Oh, I don't know. It looks good. It looks good. Thank you for having me. You're a great uh, host. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Between now and this next week's episode of Rise Together, do yourself. Think about what you're going to say before you're going to say it. If you don't have clarity, way to beat. Appreciate the importance of conversation and its ability to create connection in your life. We'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.